Hello and welcome to MASH Mouth, a podcast covering every single episode of the hit 1970s sitcom, MASH. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, today's episode, we learn about uh, Colonel Potter's great love for something he can rarely have, which is tomato juice, weirdly enough. Um, so I wanted to ask you, if there's one food that you would be like deprived of, like what would you miss if you couldn't have it anymore? Honestly, this is a pretty basic answer, but I am Italian after all. So I would have to say uh, like macaroni and pasta. Oh, wow. Because it's just truly my favorite food. Like I could eat it day in, day out. No, There are so many variations. Just my favorite food. I tried to go gluten free for like four days mm-hmm. and it just didn't work. It just did not work. Because I just love pasta so much. So, yeah, I would have to say pasta. Wow. That's a very uh, Vanessa answer, I think. <laughs> I, I saw that coming a mile away. Um, I'm not as big into pasta as other people. I don't know if that's something weird about me. But if I was deprived of one food, and I'm going to say uh, very New Jersey over here, pork roll and cheese. I, if I couldn't have a pork roll and cheese anymore, I would be devastated. And the thing is, it's only in New Jersey. So if I move out of state, I'm like ruined. Um, (laughs) But like most days I'm like thinking about like, oh, do I want to order a pork roll and cheese bagel sandwich for breakfast today? Most days that is my struggle. And most days I I tend to uh, restrain myself from my dark, dark pleasures. (laughs) (laughs) The dark pleasures of cured meat. (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah, it's uh that's a really good one too. I I will have to agree with you on that one. I would definitely miss that. And that is a that's like a distinct possibility. Like everybody has macaroni in a state, but like mm-hmm. not everybody has pork roll. That's just a New Jersey thing. There are places I've heard that in other states where they like proudly sell pork roll yeah. people from New Jersey who like bring the good fortune <laughs> to other states. <laughs> but um, I think that it's mostly here. And honestly, that's like our biggest attraction on like, yes. if I'm being completely honest, <laughs> a horrendous meat product that no one should ever eat. But we all do anyway. <laughs> biggest attraction for New Jersey. Isn't that so on brand? <laughs> eat it on the beach. Yeah, that's that's about it. Pork roll and the beach. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, quality time and pasta. Just just make it all. <laughs> so uh, going from that, let's get into this episode, shall we? Sounds good to me. So in this episode, the price of tomato juice, Radar calls in several favors and orchestrates some con jobs to get Colonel Potter his drink of choice, tomato juice. Vanessa, what did you think about this episode? This was a funny one for me. I mm-hmm. I liked the premise. It was cute. Um, I think it had some good things to say about Frank, oddly enough. Um, good things to say. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I wouldn't say good things about Frank, but I think more interesting things about Frank. We're just uncovering so many layers of this man in this season, which, oddly enough, I'm really enjoying. Yeah, the descent of Frank, when you think he couldn't go any lower, he gets lower. <laughs> uh, that's my takeaway from the season. We're really kind of feeling the end of Frank uh, at this time. Yeah, I, um, well, I'll get into it when it comes up in the episode, but I thought that this this was just a really good time. This was sitcom yeah. this was fun, it was like that comedy of errors type of thing, which is mm-hmm. not the exact way I would describe it, but still, it, it it's just great. I liked this episode a lot. Yeah, I like this one too. 
as frequent listeners may know, I love the Quest episodes. I love Adam's Rib. I love uh, the Incubator. Just anytime somebody wants to get something that the camp usually doesn't have, I'm all for it. And I like that this time it was like Radar's little adventure. Um, I just think that's a more interesting thing to have happen than like Hawkeye or whatever. Because, you know, Radar is a man who knows how to get things. So it was like funny to see him kind of on the back foot of the getting things equation. Yeah, I agree. I think that in other circumstances, people would be going to Radar to try to get stuff. And I think that we've actually probably seen that before in certain episodes, too, of of Hawkeye and whoever else trying to go to Radar and bribing Radar with things. So Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see Radar try to get this juice for Colonel Potter. And plus, it was such like a it was such a noble little adventure for him, too, because it wasn't like it was super necessary or anything like that. It would just providing Colonel Potter just like a little bit of comfort. And I feel like Radar would have done that for anybody. But the fact that it was Colonel Potter, I don't know, just just was really cute. Yeah, this was so low stakes like usually they are pretty low stakes but like in the incubator they they needed an incubator and in adam's rib hawkeye was like losing his mind like he was going (laughs) insane so like that was the elevated stakes but this one was just like i want to do something nice for my friend and i i appreciated the there's good vibes of the quest in this one (laughs) yeah i agree so Yeah, let's get into the plot of the episode. So this one kind of starts with tomato juice, actually, because you see Radar getting the tomato juice from like the chow line. And honestly, if I'm being completely honest, tomato juice to me is so gross. I don't like tomato juice at all. I don't think that that's an unpopular opinion. Um, I just don't understand why someone would want to drink like cold or room temperature tomato soup, because that to me is all tomato juice is. That's what I wanted to talk about. I want to have a quick sidebar about tomato juice because it was a very funny, like, old man thing for Colonel Potter to be in. But the entire time, I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, (laughs) you could not pay me to drink a delicious glass of tomato juice. Like, I like tomato soup, but when it's, like, with a grilled cheese sandwich, like, that's my (laughs) limit. I need it, like, with another food. I cannot just have it by itself. Colonel Potter saying, like, oh, it was delicious and, like, the highlight of his life whenever he could get one. I was like, this man is a true grandpa. He's got the grandpa <laughs> taste buds. What can we say? And funny enough, the only person that I've ever known to like tomato juice was my grandmother. So Ooh. it did give me grandparent energy, grandparent mm. vibes, but not to shame anybody for liking tomato juice. Like, oh, like. yeah. Just could not be me. I just can't get behind it. Watch me in like 60 years love tomato juice and I'll be eating my words. <laughs> well, I think when you get old, your taste buds just change and you like weird stuff. Like you need some sort of weird flavor to feel anything anymore. Maybe. Maybe. So I also wanted to talk about um, there was this <laughs> very inconsequential like B plot to this episode of just the insects everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I really liked how it was established that BJ was the insect officer because why do they need an insect officer? That's so strange to me. Yes, I I enjoyed this B plot because it went nowhere. They did not solve (laughs) the bug problem, but it was like just funny that throughout the episode, everybody was like swatting at flies that you don't see. I don't know. That was just like a nice little texture and nice little world <laughs> building. Um, Because like, yeah, 
Sure, when you're in Korea, I, you're surrounded by flies. Why not? Let's make that the plot of the episode for a brief uh, occasion. <laughs> yeah, and it was so funny to me that they established that BJ was the insect officer because that for sure is Radar's job, right? We mm-hmm. have we have been seeing these small things. Like Frank was the oh, what what was Frank in in an episode? Just recently, he was like the morale officer or right, right. something like that. I feel like all of these meaningless type of jobs, not to say that they're meaningless, but like just like non-official type of jobs. These are all Radar's jobs. Anybody could say that <laughs> these are their jobs. Like Hawkeye could be this and BJ's the insect officer and Frank's whatever. But truly, all of this is falling on Radar. I don't care what anybody says. Or when Frank was the rat czar. I mean, Frank deserves being the rad czar, but like, come on, Radar, Radar's the one you want for that job. He knows how to handle animals. So like, what we're saying is that Radar is a one man band and they won't let him operate the way he should. (laughs) Yeah, I truly think that all of these odd job type of things, these definitely fall onto Radar's shoulders. And even if they don't officially they definitely do because nobody else is nobody else is putting an effort to stop mm-hmm. the flies. That's Radar's job. And Radar would figure it out too. He's a smart boy. He is. He truly is. Because he grew up on a farm, so he would know how to keep flies exactly. away. I'm I'm convinced. Exactly. So anyway, not to completely derail us. <laughs> Let's get back to the main plot. Yes. Radar gives Colonel Potter this tomato juice, and Colonel Potter's like, mmm, love tomato juice. Wow, so exciting. Happy, happy day. (laughs) And this starts Radar off on this quest to find Colonel Potter tomato juice like every morning, which is so sweet that he is like, oh, yeah, this guy who I appreciate and admire really likes tomato juice. Let let me do something nice for him. Of course, of course, it can't just go easily for poor little Radar. (laughs) Why would it? So... Radar speaks to Klinger about seeing about getting the tomato juice for Colonel Potter every morning. And who does that request have to go through? None other than Frank Burns, because Frank Burns is the requisition officer. Another job which I believe would fall to Radar in actuality. (laughs) Yeah, I was surprised that uh, Frank had this job. I don't know if this is previously established or something like specific for this episode but i feel like he's not the man for the job you know what i mean like i feel like i would not put frank in charge of like what the camp actually needs because he's such like a stingy little guy that he'd be like oh well we have enough blood you know like he's not thinking about the the greater good here he's thinking about his bottom line even though he doesn't have to pay for it himself yeah it's so true because he would order just unnecessary stuff for the camp like he would be the one to order tanks and bombs and stuff for the hospital instead of like Mm -hmm. needles and tongue depressors and whatnot face masks yeah exactly like that would be frank so anyway Radar knows that Frank is absolutely not going to sign off on this, especially Mm -hmm. coming from Radar. So he asks BJ and Hawkeye to try to, like, strong arm Frank into signing off on this tomato juice. And honestly, I felt like this was bad planning on Radar's part because there was no way that Frank was going to say yes to Hawkeye and BJ. Like, they can't stand each other. And Radar knows this. I mean, that is fair. Uh, But, you know, Radar is a small little man. 
and Hawkeye and BJ are are big men, so we just kind of assume that the adults in the room will take care of the problem for him, like any any you know teenage boy would. But I gotta say, real quick, going back to requisition officer Frank, <laughs> I I like how we had a scene with uh, Igor. I have he's like arguing with Igor, and we get an establishment that Igor's first name is Max. I don't know if we've learned that before. But I just like that uh, Igor is getting a few more lines this season. I'm wondering if, um, because I'm pretty sure that Igor is supposed to be his first name. I'm wondering if it's like Jeff Maxwell's plays him. So I'm wondering yeah. if it's like, I don't know if that's like the case, but who knows? <laughs> well, maybe it's Igor Maxwell. Who knows? I could have misread the scene. Yeah, I, I don't know. That That's interesting. I know that he's been referred to as Igor before. And mm-hmm. he has also been referred to as like Igor with a different last name before. So I don't know. I think this is more before the real establishment of Igor, the character. We're going to have to consult the wikis, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did consult the wiki. That's why wow. I know. But wow. we can that out. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> no, I'm keeping that in. We have to do our due diligence here. That's we have true. to know that you consulted the wiki. I actually, I did, in fact, consult the wiki. And that is the case. So I think wow. I think we're just going to get retcons of this poor man until he's like actually established as the cook of the camp. That's my favorite thing about sitcom wikis. That they just have to deal with the fact that nobody like planned anything in advance <laughs> and kind of just did whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So it's funny that you say that Radar would like go to Hawkeye and BJ and be like, the adults in the room need to handle this situation. Because mm-hmm. Radar said something really interesting in this scene. I don't know if you caught it. But he's like, oh, if my little brother had lived, right. Dude, he would be like was... you guys. So I was, I. this is truly the season of just developing random backstories for these mm-hmm. characters. And it, I'm <laughs> loving it. It's giving me so much life. Dude, this little joke was insane to me because it was so dark and like he was just talking about it i mean obviously he's like dealt with it you know like he's in his life has made peace with this fact of his little brother but i love that he threw this out there and there's like this super awkward like beat where both hawkeye (laughs) and bj are like we don't know how to respond to that information and then I think Hawkeye just goes, oh, that would be a nice trick if we were like your older <laughs> brother. It was our younger brother. Truly one of the most bewildering little segments of this episode. I wanted to know so much more about Radar's uh, family history at this point. Yeah, it's so interesting because, I mean, I know that Radar, in a recent episode too, he said something about having a sister and that's mm-hmm. also kind of written out of the show. He's like, He's discussed as an only child later on. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. that That's just like really interesting. Um, and knowing the way that Radar leaves the show also mm. makes that really interesting to me for reasons that I won't get into now because I don't want to spoil anything yeah. for you. But it's it's so, I don't know, just, just these like throwaway lines that add so many layers to these characters are really doing it for me this season. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, it was it was a very fun little addition that they just absolutely blow past. I need to know more. I need to consult the <laughs> wiki. <laughs> so in his quest, we kind of learn that 
in order to get requisitions, Frank actually wants something in return. He wants a pair of nylons. And like that, of course, snowballs into other requests from other people. But what do you think about the the nylon request? I thought it was kind of odd. (laughs) So yeah, so to give some context, Hawkeye and BJ (laughs) kind of trap Frank in the shower. (laughs) And they say, okay, what's it going to take for us to get this tomato juice for Colonel Potter? And I thought it was, first of all, just really interesting that Frank kind of expressed his dislike of Colonel Potter here. Yeah. Because originally I was like, or I was thinking that if Radar just asked Frank for the tomato juice and said it was for Colonel Potter, Frank would just immediately relent because Mm -hmm. in previous episodes we have known Frank to be kind of this like bootlicker, ass kisser kind of guy um, Mm -hmm. for generals and general military type guys. And the fact that he's not with Colonel Potter is really interesting to me because I think that it's a little bit like animosity from when Colonel Potter took over from Frank's command when Henry left. So it's so it was like really, really funny and interesting for me to see that Frank actually doesn't like Colonel Potter all that much. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely I definitely thought that this scene was really good and interesting, actually. The drama. The drama. You're right. I didn't think about how it would be more like resentment for Colonel Potter usurping Frank as camp leader. I was thinking more of it being like Frank kind of had Henry around his finger. You know, he knew that Henry was like powerless and he could kind of manipulate him by like grandstanding into being like more powerful than Henry. But you're right. Like it might be the resentment. And I, I liked that all of of uh Frank's like insults towards Colonel Potter were just him being old and like <laughs> feeble. I was like, that's not who that man is. You're seeing a completely different version of this man than he actually is. I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting because I I know that in the last episode or the mail call episode, Frank was kind of trashing Colonel Potter. And I guess that should have been my indication then that he wasn't like really into him or like didn't really like him all that much. But he was mm-hmm. Frank was also very upset in that episode because of the letter from his wife. So I I, I kind of took it as, oh, he's just like saying stuff because he's angry yeah. right and then in this episode you kind of get that confirmation that he wasn't just saying that stuff about colonel potter out of anger you know um mm-hmm. and so i i also think from what you just said too of frank kind of having henry wrapped around his finger frank probably doesn't like the fact that colonel potter is regular army type and then also deals with Hawkeye and BJ the way that he yeah. does of like this like loving caring kind of laissez-faire type of way that he does and I think that that probably adds to the resentment so I don't know I, the the gears were turning in just mm-hmm. this little scene and I really liked it this was a big episode for like Frank really coming into his own as kind of being done with Korea I felt like like he was again kind of saying that he hates it here And I just thought that was really interesting that beyond the character kind of running out his welcome as a comedic device and like the writers and producers all kind of like agree on that at this time. It is kind of interesting that they're seeding the character to have this like, okay, I'm I'm actually done here as well. Like, I kind of don't want to be here anymore. I, I can't manipulate the guy in charge anymore. 
my girlfriend just makes me angry anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be here, man. Yeah, I want to put a pin in that and come back to that in a later scene um, with Margaret and Frank. Mm-hmm. I ha- I actually have a lot to say about that. Be- because I, I of you course, would. Of course I do, right? But this scene also has the furthering of the plot with Frank saying he wants a pair of nylons in exchange for signing off on the requisition for the tomato juice. And Mm -hmm. he makes a point to say that they're not for Margaret. And I was like, okay, either Frank is lying or he's trying to make Margaret jealous. So I thought it was Mm -hmm. really interesting that they were kind of indicating something because they didn't exactly say it was for Margaret. Um, So I thought that was that was pretty funny, too. Right. They never actually do say what he wants the nylons for, right? Yeah. I think that it's kind of implied that they were for Margaret, right? But I think that this is just more indication that they're kind of on the outs here. See, we could interpret this with the bug thing and say, like, he wanted to make, like, a weird bug shelter. <laughs> but I, I'll take your more character interpretation of him being on the outs with Margaret. Because, oh boy, is he. (laughs) Honestly, though, it definitely could be, like, netting purposes. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how I took it. Because I was like, the bugs have to mean something. And they kind (laughs) of don't. (laughs) No, they don't. Spoiler alert for this episode, they really don't mean anything. (laughs) So, of course, who do the boys go to to get the nylons? Clinger, of course, because of course. who else would have just a pair of nylons hanging around? Never mind that there are a million nurses in this camp <laughs> who presumably could have women's clothing on their own person. They have to deal with Clinger, who, of course, is always scheming and always wants something in return. Hawkeye could not turn on the charm and and woo a woman into giving him, (laughs) like, a pack of nylons. (laughs) I wonder... No, I don't know, because I think that nylons are more or less obsolete. I know that they still exist and whatnot, but not in the same way that they were popular back in the 1950s. Yeah. But I'm wondering if nylons were, like a big get you know they must have been because frank frank was like i need a pair of nylons and you're not just going to kohl's and getting nylons (laughs) (laughs) at least not in korea maybe in the united states they're like everywhere but you know korea it's it's another acquisition problem where it's like is this a luxury or or a necessity that's true maybe it's not a necessity that's true i'm just wondering how like expensive nylons were back then and how much of like a get it would be in korea you know um so Mm -hmm. anyway that's just an aside i I was very interested in that little like older tidbit wait can i say one thing go ahead um by the way with our constant acquisition issues when they want something that is not normally in the camp Klinger somehow has a workaround for this because he's always (laughs) buying stuff from the Sears catalog and all that so I'm like how does he get this but we can't get tomato juice for the like he could buy all these fancy dresses but like we can't get food deranged well to answer your question actually (laughs) so Klinger has established and this is true um (laughs) that it took a long time for him to like get those things. Okay. So okay. he it's would a collection order... that he's built up. Right, exactly. So he would order from the Sears catalog and have to wait like six months to get the stuff. 
Um, and then, but like with food, of course, that it's not going to stay good. So yeah. dresses okay. are not going to expire. I mean, fashionably wise, they might, but <laughs> they're not just going to expire like food. So honestly, like that is kind of why. But I see your point. They should probably be able to get more food. <laughs> well, that's fair. I did not um think about Klinger's patience. Maybe he is truly a fascin- fashionista. And, like, plans months in advance of what would be in style by the time he gets it. Well, honestly, I'm pretty sure that they've established already that Klinger knows how to, like, sew and stuff. Like, he makes Mm -hmm. his own clothes. So maybe he got really fed up with waiting and that's why he doesn't order so much from the Sears catalog (laughs) anymore. He just makes his own dresses and whatnot, so... (laughs) I love our Klinger lore, how we're always building up this man to be the most talented, like, weird little fashion guy in the world. (laughs) He is. That's, like, that's just the character, though. (laughs) That's fair. Anyway, back on track. (laughs) Yeah, like, to get back on track, (laughs) I also thought it was bringing the Klinger lore... To say that um, (laughs) when Hawkeye and BJ ask for his pair of nylons, he says, no, these are my lucky nylons. They were my Uncle Bill's. He used them to get out of the Navy in World War II. (laughs) Big if true. Big if true. Because that indicates that this is like a family tradition of Klinger's family using cross-dressing to get out of the military. And I just love that. Right. It is a family, uh, you know, he's passed it down from generation to generation. These poor men all go into the army and they don't want to. (laughs) I'm just saying there are people who would love to be in the army. So like we could we could get people other than Klinger and his <laughs> many relatives who apparently also have a distinct sense of how to dress for uh, <laughs> Section Eight. Um, by the way, I also enjoyed how these last two episodes are kind of bringing in Klinger's like Lebanese heritage. Like, yes, he, he talks Lebanese to Radar, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, what what do you think about that? That's something that I noted as well. I thought that that was really interesting because I don't feel like you get a lot of that in these older sitcoms of somebody mm-hmm. speaking like a foreign language and being a main character. You know what I mean? Not to say that it never happened, but I I feel like it was less so like a character if a character was you know americanized like they were american. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's really interesting to to see Klinger bring in his Lebanese background. Yes, it is really cool. And like last episode, they talk all about his like brothers and their Lebanese heritage and all that. I guess as the show's gone on, we've got more uh, acquainted with like Jamie Farr as a person. They're like writing more of him into the character. And I, I just like when that happens with sitcoms and they're like confident to bring in these like new elements that like make the character you know, closer to the actor and closer to, like, a real person. Yeah, and I loved that Jamie Farr was playing Klinger and Klinger was supposed to be Lebanese. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I Like, I feel like it could have probably been written out that he was Lebanese or just, like, not included in the character. But it, it I don't know, it gives him so much more depth as well. And that's not lost in the coming seasons of the show as well. They, they oh, reference it and it's even, it's, like, almost integral in certain episodes that are kind of based more around Klinger. So it is actually really interesting, and I'm glad to see it. That's really interesting, especially for uh, 1970-whatever. It's pretty unique. I I really appreciate stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So 
To go from Klinger, since we've talked about him ad nauseum. Yes, um, as we always do. As we always do, because he's a great character. Klinger says that to get the nylons, he needs a two-day pass, or Hawkeye suggests that he can get Klinger a two-day pass in exchange for the nylons. So, to get this two-day pass, Colonel Potter would need to sign off on it. And Mm -hmm. Radar is up to his old tricks again, where he is trying to get Colonel Potter to sign papers without reading them, like he did with Mm -hmm. Henry so many times, like having Henry sign blank papers. For Colonel Potter, of course, who's a little more in his depths than Henry was, (laughs) Colonel Potter actually looks at the papers (laughs) and is like, hmm, I don't know if Klinger needs a two-day pass, but eventually he does relent and gives it to him. Um, or I should say is more willing to sign off on the two-day pass. But he has to get clearance from another general because of some kind of like wacky convention going on in Seoul yeah. at, <laughs> at the time. So this scene, I have some mixed feelings about this. So what, do you, what did you think about this scene? Well, I actually really like how Radar was trying his old tricks of, you know, being deceptive. But of course, Mm -hmm. Colonel Potter is one step ahead. And by one step ahead, I mean like functional in his job. (laughs) Um, So I I enjoyed this like callback to the Henry days Mm -hmm. that like that kind of radar antic isn't gone. He just hasn't tried it in a while. Mm -hmm. And the the reason for not giving Klinger like a two day pass is that like he's been AWOL like four times this month. And Radar's argument is... Yes, he's been AWOL. That's because he's going insane. So he like needs the break, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but can I say, with this bit, when they call General Barker, I believe is his name, we get a Margaret classic, which is that she's had re- a relationship with everyone in the higher rank. And I was like, oh, okay, we're back to this. Like, I know that you are not a fan of this aspect of Margaret's character, but... It kind of made me feel like warm and fuzzy inside, like nostalgic for the early days (laughs) when they would like really lean on this when every episode would have a new general come in and have like established relationship with Margaret. So like, I understand why you would have mixed feelings and I have mixed feelings, but I'm also like, this makes me nostalgic for season one. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't like really love this for all the reasons that you've already outlined Basically, we all know my feelings about that, but I liked this next scene coming. So I don't know if we established enough context for this. The general says that he is willing to sign off on this pass for Klinger if he can have Margaret come down for the weekend for this convention that's going on um, and be his guest. So he says, mm-hmm. I found it personally a little bit skeevy, but I we, we don't have to go into all of that because I've definitely talked about how skeevy I find that in previous episodes. Yeah. What I liked about this, though, was that Colonel Potter was almost like skeeved out for Margaret, you know? Oh, was he? I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. So, like, I, I don't know if the writer is intended for it to be like he was kind of duping margaret into saying yes or saying like oh i know that you'd never like you'd never want to do something like that or you wouldn't like you know 
he requested you and like I can tell him to go like shove it up his ass or whatever whatever Colonel Potter said yeah. like in his in his own euphemism basically. He did not say that specifically, but, but and, the thought was there. Yeah, and Colonel Potter was like, "Oh, he couldn't even ask you himself like what a putz basically." Right. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um <laughs> and of course Margaret is like into it. She she's she's like, "Oh, yeah." Um, I could do it for the good of the outfit. Of course, Colonel Potter, I'll mm-hmm. go. And Colonel Potter is saying, listen, you really don't have to. Like, you don't have to do this. Like, this general is basically asking to have your presence there so that he can, like, woo you and sleep with you. And Colonel Potter's mm-hmm. like, mm, you don't you don't really have to. And Margaret's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> but I thought that it was really sweet that Colonel Potter was saying, no, you you don't have to do that if you don't want to. And I don't know, I I thought that that was just like a very like wholesome, nice thing. Of course, Margaret was really into it because she loves sleeping with married men, apparently. <laughs> that is that is her thing. She, but, she hates that she loves it, but she does. <laughs> but I was also thinking as well, like, obviously, Margaret would be into this because there is going to be this convention with a bunch of like military people and high ranking people. And that's what Margaret wants. Like that's the room that she wants to be Mm -hmm. in. And unfortunately people want her there to sleep with her, not because of her accomplishments as a good nurse, but of course she wants that because that's like who she is at her core. She wants to be in the room where it happens basically. Yeah. She wants to be taken seriously, but that's all like mixed up. Uh, She's a complicated woman. Yeah. But I do have to address real quick the scene between her and Colonel Potter. I was more focused on like Margaret's end of it. So I did kind of miss the Colonel Potter uh, being like a good dad being like, you don't have to do this. I actually think that's really great. I like the scene with them together a lot because I feel like we've not seen that. Um, I feel like we've not seen these two like in a room in a professional setting just by themselves and I I thought it was like nice that Margaret was like being so professional when Frank is so not professional with mm-hmm. uh, Colonel Potter that it, like that even though her mind was elsewhere does demonstrate that she has like more of the professional mind like more clear mind than maybe she would in an earlier season when she was more of a caricature. Yeah, I think that this also is a good setup for what we're going to see between these two characters in the future. Um, I know that you didn't watch this part because um, it was a spoiler, but in the new special about MASH that just came out, um, there was a piece of Loretta Swit talking about her relationship with Harry Morgan and in the end when the two characters are saying goodbye to each other and how emotional she felt uh, with that scene because the characters were really close in the show and then she was also really close with Harry Morgan. So I think that this is just indication of kind of like what's to come between the two of them. So it's it's cool that you picked up on that. That's great. I love to hear that. Um I basically like any scene with any of the previous main cast with uh, Harry Morgan here. I think it's a very interesting new dynamic compared to like Henry. Anytime he's like with anybody, it's just such a like kind presence that I'm like, give me more of just him and someone else on their own. I want to know what he's like just with BJ on his own. You know what I mean? Give me more of these scenes. Well, you certainly will be getting them in the coming years because we do have a lot more show to cover. Yes, <laughs> that's exciting. So 
right after this scene where Colonel Potter is like, hey, Margaret, you're such a champ for sleeping with this married old general guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Margaret starts to get ready to leave and Frank is kind of throwing a fit. So I guess they're not as much on the outs as I thought that they were. But I think that it is pretty interesting that Margaret is more drawn to this than she necessarily would have been in previous seasons where her and Frank were like going strong. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Um, I agree. This was the scene where I was just yelling at my screen for them to break up already because <laughs> clearly they no longer make each other happy. It is an obligation on both ends. <laughs> Frank is just doesn't want to be alone and Margaret doesn't want to be mean to him, I guess. There's no joy in this relationship anymore. So That's my experience with this scene. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that this is actually... This is what I was talking about before when I said that I thought that it was interesting with Frank's character. And it echoing what you said before, too, of Frank just kind of being done with Korea. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and being done with the war in general. Because Margaret establishes, like, listen, Frank, I'm going, screw you. And then he shoots back, oh, well, I'm happily married. It's just like, okay, sure. I'm 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 so sure that you're happily married, Frank. Um, whose wife wanted a divorce in the last episode. Okay. Sure. Like literally six days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes at Radar, and of course, Radar has an islands for him, and he says, Oh, I like I don't care. I hate this war, I hate Korea, this and the other thing. And Frank has expressed contempt for Korea before, but more in like a xenophobic way. And now he's expressing it as like literally being done. Like you said, he's just over it. And I really feel like he's starting to get sick of the 4077 because he's losing Margaret in that way. Like she kind of made it bearable for him. Right. Like he didn't enjoy being there. He said he enjoyed being there for like this false sense of patriotism. But it was kind of like that was the front for being able to like be with Margaret and like enjoy the time away from his wife and all his responsibilities and his family and stuff like that back in Indiana. And now that he's losing that, he's kind of just like, I don't want to be here anymore. This isn't fun for me anymore. So I thought that that was just like super, super interesting to see the progression of that. Yeah. And that combined with what I was saying earlier with Colonel Potter where he no longer can uh, have control over the camp like he could with Henry, you're like, okay, so he has no power, and also his girlfriend is really upset with him. So it's <laughs> like, you know, the combination has really shown Frank's true colors of, like, he's beyond the patriotism. He's beyond wanting to do good for his country. He's now thinking purely selfishly because he no longer has, like, any chance at power here. And he no longer has the escape of Margaret. Um, So, like, that's really interesting. I'm sure this is not, like, intended. But when you watch it all together, like we have, it's weaving a complex web, let's say. Yeah, and honestly, it's something that I never really picked up on before watching the show. I I don't even want to say that, like, maybe we're reading too much into this because after watching that special of MASH and seeing how much care mm-hmm. that the writers put into it, I don't know. Like, I, I think that maybe they are spinning these webs, like you say, and we might be reading into the right things. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, I I just never noticed that, like, progression in their relationship before watching the show mostly out of order in syndication. 
So, yeah, it, it's interesting for me to see. You get something new every time you watch MASH. You do. Um, I know that we have a ways to go before Frank leaves, but now I'm so interested to know, like, what the story is of his departure. Like, what actually brings him home, assuming he goes home and doesn't die like Henry. I genuinely don't know. Who knows? I haven't heard. <laughs> I haven't heard he dies, so I assume he doesn't, but I don't know. No one cares about Frank, so maybe he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I won't spoil anything, but... Yeah, I'm glad that you're interested in seeing how his storyline plays out because I I do think yeah. that you will you will enjoy it and it's all starting to make sense for me too seeing it as the writers <laughs> intended for us to see it. It's an interesting last act for the character that he doesn't just totally burn out that he also kind of acknowledges that his time here is done. Yeah. It's it's exciting kind of. Yeah, definitely. Um not to knock us completely off track, but there's one thing that I just I had to mention. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> when Margaret, <laughs> this is too much for me. This is this is me being super nerdy. OK, so okay. you're going to have to stick with me here. So <laughs> Margaret mentions that she's going to see General Barker and General Barker setting a car for her. And uh, he wants her to be his guest at this like convention thing that they're having in Seoul. So mm-hmm. Frank says to her. <laughs> Isn't that the general who asked you to spank him? (laughs) And Margaret says, no, I know two General Barkers. And I was like, huh, because I know that they've mentioned a General Barker before. Yeah. So I look up General Barker and there is General Wilson Barker, played by Sorrel Brooke, who made his appearances in the first season in Chief Surgeon Who and Requiem for a Lightweight. And this... Mm -hmm is General Bradley Barker. So she actually does know two different General Barkers, one of which asked to be spanked by Margaret. (laughs) That is the most, like, current day retcon I've ever heard. Like, (laughs) I'm so surprised that, like, that was legit and not just, like, a throwaway (laughs) gag. But there is two... That's so funny. Like, did they get fan letters about that? I need to know. Because that's just purely a fan question type of thing. I need to know. Yeah, it is, in fact, two different General Barkers. So you're welcome, everybody. (laughs) That is, I mean, I think you only can get that from this podcast specifically. I know there are a number of MASH podcasts out there these days, but I feel like we're the only ones on the ground floor of this true nerdy (laughs) nonsense. Um, Tune in every week for my nerdy ass, like, (laughs) for my nerdy takes on mash and the things that i remember (laughs) oh boy that's so funny i love that that that's a pure wiki thing and they didn't (laughs) even have wikis back then anyway to get back on track i apologize i really had to go on this really nerdy rant (laughs) don't apologize this is what our show is designed for (laughs) to get your nerdy musings of mash out (laughs) (laughs) so anyway back in the swamp where they are trying desperately to kill bugs and Hawkeye is in fact spraying poison to try to kill the flies that are around him, which I think might be a health hazard. But anyway. (laughs) It was the 50s. They didn't know anything about health hazard back then. Which I was like, okay, maybe this isn't poison. And then I was like, wait a minute. It's the 1950s. This was definitely poison. (laughs) All of it was poison. Spraying it in BJ's mouth? Not good. (laughs) (laughs) 
you don't see it, but I'm sure these boys smoked like there was no tomorrow. Yeah. Because, of course, although they are doctors. But who knows? Who Who knows? knows? It was not a good time for your health. There's a reason why everyone from old pictures looks 20 years older than (laughs) uh, people today. (laughs) Yeah. So not great for health purposes. But anyway, back in the swamp, Radar is really upset because he really wants to get this tomato juice for Colonel Potter because that is the point of this episode. Tomato juice. (laughs) Unless we forget. Yeah. (laughs) So Hawkeye says the only way for them to get Frank to sign off on this tomato juice requisition is to get Margaret to not go to General Barker's convention. Little little Mm -hmm. shindig. So the plan that they concoct, I felt, was quite mean. This was a Shakespearean level, like double cross kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty mean. Um, because so what they do is send Radar into Margaret's tent as she's getting ready to leave with flowers and a note from Frank. Frank in quotes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And apparently, the note asks Margaret to marry him. But this note is not from Frank. It's from Hawkeye. And I was really mad at Margaret because I'm like, girl, you don't know Frank's handwriting by now? Come on. Seriously? (laughs) That's fair. Although, maybe Hawkeye is a master forgerer. Who knows? He could have that skill. I actually believe that he does. Never mind. (laughs) That is my official headcanon that he has known how to forge Frank's signature specifically just for fun. Honestly, I could see it because doctors are notorious for having bad handwriting. That is also true. I'm assuming that it's just indecipherable for all the doctors. It's just it's just bad. Um, So maybe. okay, All right. I can get behind it. Sure. So she was trusting that it said, will you marry me? (laughs) Yeah, honestly. (laughs) So. Then it's this whole big comedy of errors type of thing where mm-hmm. what 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 even happens? Can you describe it, Ethan? I feel like I've been talking way I too mean, much. I can barely describe it. Like I said, this is very Shakespeare level comedy of two characters not properly communicating with each other because Margaret writes a letter back to Frank uh, kind of being like, yes, yes, of course. And poor Frank has literally no idea what she's talking about. So it's this big back and forth where it's just so it would be so much easier if people actually express literally anything to each other, but they don't. And it all it all blows up. Um, Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good explanation. Um, I do not to give Frank any type of credit, but because he was also duped in this, but he was also drinking pretty heavily um, because right. he was very upset. Um. Because Margaret is essentially, like, going to have relations with another person. (laughs) Um, So I also thought that basically this all could have been avoided because Radar could have just gotten Frank drunk for any reason and then had him sign the requisition form. Because we know that Frank's faculties are very diminished when he's sick or when he drinks and if you show him any type of friendship you can get him to do anything so i think that all of it could have been avoided if we had just been buddy buddy with frank burns gotten him drunk had him sign that's it i wish you could see what i'm doing because i'm (laughs) gesticulating wildly at this revelation (laughs) of course frank 
becomes such a friendly guy when he's drunk. They should have thought of that. You're thinking 5D chess over here. You're, you're, <laughs> um, Listen, if I know anything, I know the MASH characters and I know what makes them tick and what they will do. <laughs> and... <laughs> and they could have used the tomato juice to make Bloody Marys. It could have all tied together. There you go. There you go. Oh my gosh. This we, we need to rewrite this episode, you and me. You yes. and me. <laughs> we need to fanfic rewrite this even though we both pre- we both like this episode just fine, but we found the perfect version of it <laughs> hidden deep within. <laughs> so, I think that honestly this Oh, we didn't even discuss the part where Frank actually does sign the requisition form because he's so elated that Margaret is taking him back. And he's so inebriated at this point that Radar's Mm -hmm. like, here, sign this. He's like, sure. And that's it. That's all it took. (laughs) You just need to show Frank a little bit of happiness and he becomes a different guy. It's almost like he's miserable and doesn't want to help anybody here. Whoa. So anyway, at the end of this, Frank signs off on the requisition. They get the tomato juice. Radar pours the tomato juice for Colonel Potter, sets the beautiful glass of tomato juice down on the table. And Colonel Potter says, oh, no, thanks, Radar. Radar says, what? This is tomato juice. You love tomato juice. We just went over this yesterday. And Colonel Potter says, oh, I remembered that I am, in fact, allergic to tomato juice. My face puffs up. I can't breathe. I can't have tomato juice. So we went through all of that. A true comedy of errors. Not really a true comedy of errors. That's not what that is. But my version of a comedy of errors <laughs> to get this tomato juice. And Colonel Potter's not going to drink it. That's it. This was a delightful ending. I've talked in the past about like stuff like Adam's rib when Hawkeye can't eat the delicious ribs that he so lovingly like went after. Um, This caught me so off guard like i genuinely did not expect this ending that <laughs> colonel potter would just be like ah oh, no I'm, I'm good thank you though <laughs> that i was just like yeah this is good this is a good comedy ending for this comedy episode yeah good punchline <laughs> this was very sitcom-esque it it, it just it worked so well <laughs> it was all for nothing see you next week <laughs> <laughs> But it honestly, this episode reminded me a lot of, um, what was that episode? Oh, For Want of a Boot, because where everybody's just doing favors for everybody and nobody gets what they want in the end. Yeah. But this episode had a little bit more of a happy ending because Klinger got his two-day pass and apparently he had a really great time with General Barker. Love this joke because uh, General Barker, of course, is expecting Margaret. But apparently when Klinger shows up, it's a it's a night on the town with the boys. You know, it just becomes like <laughs> a good time. And I, I love to hear that. I love anybody having a good time off screen. What can I say? Hey, Klinger might be closer to that section eight than he thinks. Maybe, maybe. He's got friends in higher places now. Ooh. And apparently someone's like hitting on him the entire time and like <laughs> that's a whole can of worms we can't get into right now. <laughs> wow, so much so much to unpack. So little time. <laughs> I know, we're already an hour in. So that's basically the end of the episode. So, Ethan, did you have any favorite lines to come out of this episode? I have one. There's a lot of good banter in this episode. Let me say that right now. A lot of good, like, dialogue. But one line, like, really stuck out to me in the way of, like, you know, that I could express in this this segment when uh, Frank is explaining all the horrible things that 
BJ and Hawkeye do to him on a daily basis, you know, like putting things in his underwear, basically. <laughs> and then uh, BJ just very frankly says, um, <laughs> we like to send threatening underwear. That's a great <laughs> line. I just love that so much. <laughs> That was such a good one. And in that scene, too, it there was one part in that scene where Hawkeye and BJ kind of like invade Frank's shower and BJ puts his arms around Frank and you can see Larry Linville trying not to laugh. And it's so funny. That was probably my favorite scene of the episode. But my, I need to rewatch it. It was so good. I actually went back two times and I watched it again. Wow. <laughs> my favorite line comes out of that scene as well, where... Frank is talking about how much he doesn't like Colonel Potter and why he thinks that he's like overly mean to him when Frank Burns is just the meanest person ever. Mm -hmm. And Frank says, last month he said my brain had a Charlie horse. And that there was more to it the line, but that is just beautiful. That's just a that's just a great way to describe Frank Burns to me. That's a great insult because it's also like you can't just say that about anybody. You know, it's gotta be somebody like Frank Burns. <laughs> And the and the rest of the line was kick him in the shins. He'll get a headache. Oh my god, so good. <laughs> we do like that. Uh, Colonel Potter does not care for Frank at all, and not makes at no illusions at all. <laughs> not at all. So Vanessa, do you have any trivia for us this week? This is a pretty light episode, guest star wise. I'm wondering what might have come up. So I don't have any real trivia for us this week because, like you said, there weren't really guest stars to really go into. But one thing that they mention in the episode when uh, in the very beginning scene, when Hawkeye is reading the newspaper, Hawkeye mentions that the Empire State Building was sold for $20 million. So I didn't look up exactly who the Empire State Building was sold to, but I did look up with my trusty inflation calculator how much oh. $20 million would be in 1951 when I believe that the Empire State Building was sold. So beautiful. Are you ready for this? I'm ready to hear the absurd number that you're going to spit out at me. <laughs> so twenty million dollars in nineteen fifty one. Well, I I believe that the, the Empire State Building was sold in nineteen fifty two, so I could be wrong here. But I looked it up for nineteen fifty one because that's when I assumed this this episode <laughs> would have would have happened. Twenty million dollars in nineteen fifty one equals two hundred and forty one million dollars today. Oh my lord, that's a crazy. lot more money. Isn't that crazy? That does fall in line, actually. I was like, that's what you would sell the Empire State Building for uh, nowadays. Probably a billion dollars. They got that for a good deal uh, back then. Inflation yeah. calculated and otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I do think that this was a pretty good deal, honestly. <laughs> Also, I did not know that the Empire State Building belonged to anyone. I thought it was just like a building that existed. I never thought of a company operating out of there. Yeah, no, I mean, it. it's definitely just like every other building, I think. It's just more iconic, I guess. I, I was like at best thinking there was like apartments or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, oh, this is a cool piece of skyline, not an actual place people go to. No, yeah, definitely a place people go to. So, since we were light on trivia, Ethan, what was your martini rating for this episode? I'm thinking for this episode, this is a generous, like, I, I enjoyed this, uh, three out of five. Like, this is a great three out of five, a super solid three out of five. <laughs> I am nodding because I agree with you. I gave this a three out of five. I still think it's a three out of five. I, I enjoyed talking about this episode, but objectively, I do think it's a three out of five. Yeah. 
Like, it's a pretty good episode, but it's not, like, spectacular, you know? I would say this is like drinking martinis on, like, a Thursday night. You know what I mean? Right, right. (laughs) Right before the weekend, but not exactly the weekend. And you're not quite getting where you want to be, but you're like, you know what, this is fine. (laughs) Yeah, that, that is exactly how I would describe it. Good. So, just to wrap up, we'd like to give thanks to Jacob Friabaco for being our technical consultant, Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for awesome cover art, and, of course, our listeners. Links to our music, social media, and contact with the show are in the description, as always. And join us next week for Season 4, Episode 17, Dear Ma. But until then, don't let your brain get a charley horse. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. <laughs>